Every week, we do a Q&A with interesting and accomplished members of the adaptive community to find how they persevered, how they innovated, how they built communities, and how they found solutions. Welcome to the Name Tags Chat Podcast. Welcome to our Wednesday Name Tags Chat Podcast. Today, we are with Roderick Sewell, who's doing some really cool things. Now, th think about this. He is trying to qualify for, are they still calling it the 2020? Some people are still calling it the 2020 Tokyo Olympics and Paralympics. And he is trying to qualify in both hand cycling and swimming. So he's a bronze medalist in swimming in the world championships. In 2019, he did the Kona Ironman. So Kona Ironman is a 2.4 mile swim, a 112 mile bike ride followed by the dessert of a marathon. So he did this and fell in love with cycling. I guess 112 miles was a good enough, uh, good enough way to fall in love with cycling. So Roderick, thank you for joining us. Where are you coming from right now? Thank you for having me, Chris. I am currently in Colorado Springs. In Colorado Springs, so you're training at altitude in Colorado Springs for both hand cycling and for swimming. How, yes, sir. how are you going to make this work? I mean, this is, these are two sports that overlap in terms of, in terms of training. I mean, swimming is a volume sport in and of itself. And now you're adding another volume sport to it. How are you, how are you juggling it? How are you making it work? What's the path to qualify? Well, my, my primary is swimming. It's always, and will, will always be swimming. Um, I've been doing it for 12, actually 13 years now. And um, it's something that I, I, didn't naturally love at first, but grew to love. Um, I'm training for the 100 meter breaststroke. And really, when it came to cycling, uh, like you said, I, once you put in hours and hours on the bike, um, my longest ride before Kona was about 90 miles. And I got so comfortable with my bike that if I did anything shorter than a three hour ride, I hated it. You know, it had to be a long ride. I had to, I had to have this long ride for myself. Um, and even to this day, I still do hour and a half, two hour, three hour rides. And it's really just to learn and adjust to what it is or what it's like riding my hand bike. Um, you know, it, it's going to be tough to qualify for the Paralympics either way. Um, I feel like swimming is really helping me on the bike. And I also feel like the bike is helping me in the pool when it comes to strength and, and endurance. Um, so it, it's definitely kind of like a cross training. Um, but first and foremost, I, I love it. I enjoy it and I, I want to make sure that I have that first and and then that next step of can I see myself qualifying for the Paralympics is is the is the goal you know um but it, it, it is going to be tough it's we have I have my first race first home race in over a year um coming up in Louisville Texas um I'll be swimming the 100 meter breaststroke and then that same night flying out to Alabama to have my first cycling race where I'm really just going to get class and get a time. And if I can qualify for trials, cool. If I go to trials and do well, I'm happy with that. So you are a breaststroker. Can you describe mm -hmm. how breaststroke works? Because swimming, swimming in, on the Paralympic side can be a bit confusing for the layperson to look at an, an event and see somebody starting on the block, somebody starting in the pool uh, with a combined classification. How do you swim breaststroke? So for me, obviously, I'm a double above knee amputee. Um, my amputation is right above the knee for both sides. And, you know, breaststroke is just all upper body and, and body positioning. 
Um, when I swim breaststroke, I, like you said, I'm lining up on the blocks, I'm sitting on the blocks and I, I really, the best way I can describe it is kind of like a, um, um, what are those, what are those things called? The, the old like toys. slingshot slingshot. That's the best way I can describe it. I'm sitting on the, the pool, the, the, uh, diving block. And, you know, once they say, take your mark, I'm, I'm pulling back with both my arms sitting on the block. And once the buzzer goes off, I'm throwing everything forward. I'm using the bottom of my stumps to push off the block as well as my palms on the block and get that propulsion forward. Um, and, you know, everything from there is the form is pretty much the same when it comes to the upper body. You know, I have my pull out and um, I feel like my stroke is more so focused on my front. I'm never pulling too far behind my body because I don't have my kick to give me that extra force forward. Um, so it's really just just constant pulling, pulling, throwing forward, throwing forward and really getting as much as I can from my pool and using all that to propel myself. Um, Does it change? Because so much of breaststroke is really about the kick mm -hmm. and about the glide, right? Mm -hmm. And how do you, is it more of a, of a high rep kind of thing for you versus, versus what somebody might see like in the Olympics or whatever? It's definitely a quick tempo. Um, you know, my, my hands and my arms are, are pulling back and I, I'm using that force. And then once I get enough, I am whipping my arms in and throwing myself forward. And at the same time, I'm using my core and my hips to stay leveled on top of the surface. Um, because once you get that, you know, up and down motion, you're, you're just causing drag, you know, so I'm, I'm not necessarily kicking, but I'm using my body to stay on top of the water while my arms are working to get me that forward motion. And that stability and, and the rhythm within the water is, is a big challenge. What are you doing? Because it sounds like sometimes for you that you've had better results in training than you have in races that, that sometimes you get a little little too amped up is is that the problem how how are you able to 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 basically uh, channel all of that energy into the wing forward for sure it's, it's been something that I've had to kind of step back and say you know what do I need to focus on um, because if, for me it's like I'm, I'm a bigger guy I'm, I'm pretty heavy and when I'm in the water you know I, I just feel like I have all this weight on me um, so I, I really kind of focused on my, that technique and that, that quick tempo. And I'm not so much focused on a strong, wide, heavy pull like I used to. Um, you know, I used to think, oh, I need to be as far back as possible and then go forward. Um, and it just never, it didn't work out for me. And then I would just kind of psych myself out and think about the time and think about how fast I need to go. And then it just is downhill from there. So um, lately has been, you know, I'm training alongside, uh, Rudy Garcia Tolson, who he's done this four times working on his fifth games. Um, and so I'm really watching myself next to him and seeing how he paces himself. And, you know, it's, it's shocking. I'm, I'm, I'm surprising myself with how well I can hold with him and how well my time is doing when I'm not necessarily thinking about anything else, but body position and that fast tempo of just keeping my arms out front. You know, I might not pull as wide, I might pull down, but that's enough to get me that propulsion forward and then that, that, that stretch across the water. Um, so yeah, it, it definitely took some growth as an athlete for sure. Well, that's obviously what you're hoping for as an athlete, right? You want to continue to grow. 
and get better and learn from some of the, those people. Rudy, can you tell us who Rudy is and, and what his role has been for you? For sure. You know, Rudy Garcia Tolson, <laughs> he is a very close friend of mine. Um, I met him through the Challenge Athletes Foundation when I was about eight years old. Uh, Rudy at the time, I think he was 11. And, you know, Rudy was already big time. He, he was already committed to training for the Paralympics and he was going to go to the 2004 games uh, in Athens. And he did. And that was his first games. And, you know, seeing him as a double above knee amputee, the first I've ever met, you know, I, before him, I never saw a double above knee amputee functioning or living and, and thriving. Um, you know, any amputee I saw, they were either in a wheelchair or, or not knowing what was possible for them. Um, so seeing Rudy and seeing what he can do as a swimmer kind of broke the barrier for me. Like, okay, I, I, can, I can do this. And personally, you know, at the time, I had my own kind of doubts with myself. You know, I, I thought for sure because I didn't have legs, I couldn't swim. You know, these are things that went through my mind. And, you know, another stereotype that I had thought was true for myself is I've always been told that Black people don't swim. Um, not knowing the history on why Black people haven't given the right access to learn how to swim. So once I got the lessons I needed through CAF, they got me my first swim lessons grant. Um, I had my swim coach, Alan Voissard, who is still my coach to this day. Uh, he got me in the water, got me comfortable with the water, and I just fell in love with it at that point. Um, so Rudy definitely like really sparked that, that interest and then which turned into just a love for the sport. What was your relationship with water? I mean, you said you said that that as a double amputee, you didn't think you could swim. As a black person, you didn't think you could swim. What was your relationship with water? What did what, what kind of emotion did it elicit for you? Sure, you know, I was I was definitely terrified. You know, I apparently there was a, a situation I had when I was younger where I had almost drowned, and I was a baby, so I, I really didn't I had no recollection of it, um, but. As time went on, you know, I had family members that didn't know how to swim. Um, they weren't given access to pools. They didn't have pools around. If, if they if they did, they weren't the best. Um, so it was not a lot of us knowing how to swim. Um, so and especially for me, I was at the time in the family, I was the runt. You know, I was the the small one. The uh, everybody worried. You know, what's going to happen with Roderick? Because we don't know what he can do. You know, he has this disability and. Everybody in my family has this, this mindset of what a disability is, um, which is fair because, uh, you know, that's a, a stereotype that's being changed on the daily, even now, you know. Um, so it, it was naturally fear put into me and then my fear projected onto the water like, okay, stay away. You know, that's not the place for me. Um, but I knew that I had to overcome this fear, you know, like most fears I, or most trials and tribulations that I had, I had to overcome. Um, I wasn't going to let my disability define me. And I, I, I don't say that in a way of, you know, I had to overcome my disability because there's no overcoming. This is just a part of me. It's not all of me. It's just a part, you know. Um, but there are things that I have to do that are different than others. So I need to find out how to do it for myself. How did you, how were you able to get past that fear to get into the water and then eventually get comfortable in the water? For sure. I mean, it started with seeing Rudy do it and I was just impressed. I was very impressed. Um, and then from then on, I was like, okay, I can do this. And once I got in the water and got comfortable with it, I was like, I want to race. I want to do everything possible. I, it was, you couldn't get me out of the water. That was the problem. 
And, um, you know, my coach, Alan Boissard, he got me into my first swim meet when I was, I think I was 12. Um, and at the time, you know, my mom and I were, were really struggling uh, financially. So we, we, we weren't too much focused on getting to races. We were more focused on, you know, where are we going to live and how are we going to survive? Uh, we moved to Alabama and I, I was about 16 years old when I got a grant from the U.S. Paralympic Academy to go to the 2008 Beijing Games. And I got to see Rudy compete in the 200 IM and seeing him race and, and do his thing and get his gold medal. I was like, oh, okay, this is, this is amazing. This is, uh, this is where I need to be. You know, this is something I can do. Um, and so it, it started with overcoming the fear. It started with falling in love with the sport. And then it started to see in myself that I was capable of, of taking that next step towards the Paralympics. No, no, was Rudy helpful in that initial fear? I, I heard some story about him actually <laughs> yeah. getting you into the water. Is that true? Is that legend? So this is this is how it went down. Um, <laughs> Rudy and I, so I remember I got my first pair of running legs from the Challenge Athletes Foundation. And um, there was a, a week later, after just getting my legs, a week later, I went to go race in Florida. And it was a para event. Um, my first time running in my legs. I have no idea what I'm doing. Um, and when we were there, there was a pool at the hotel. And Rudy, you know, he's in there doing laps. He's just going in all day. And I'm just sitting there like, what are you doing, man? I'm not getting in that water. And, you know, this is just to, to give an idea of like the soul, you know, the who Rudy is. You know, he was like, get on my back. I'll take you around. And we're going to get you comfortable with the water. And this is before I got lessons. Um, I remember I just had a, a just a lock around his neck the whole time. He's just like <laughs> swimming around, holding the wall like it was it was pretty rough. Um, but, you know, he wanted he wanted me. And that's one thing I I'll always remember, you know, Rudy was one of a kind and is one of a kind. But he was at the time the only child around, especially with CAF. Like there was no other kids around for him to really be with. So. Um, when I came in the picture, you know, he wanted to involve me in everything. You know, I it was like Rudy, the superstar and his friend Roderick, you know, <laughs> I was always going to be around. And I think that was one of the things that he wanted me to see how freeing it was. He wanted me to be a part of what he was doing and, and what he was going through and helping me kind of find my own journey and, and how that would awaken something in myself. So. Yeah. Did it did it work in that? Is it like a hotel pool? <laughs> so you said, okay, I'm in. Like, teach me what uh, to do. You know what? It it was a it was a stepping stone. It wasn't like a life changing event, but it was like a start. You know, <laughs> it was. I'm willing to go do lessons now, and then and then learn how to do it. For sure. Like seeing him, like eventually he got me off his back. He's like, I can't do this. You're too heavy. <laughs> and seeing him kind of go off and do his thing, I'm like, all right. I, I can do this. I see him do it. I know I can. I believe I can. And that's all it took. But you, so you said that, that and this was at the YMCA, right? That you first started doing some lessons. Is that right? When I got some lessons, yep. And you still, you're a mentor and a coach there now. How are you helping those kids? I'm assuming, right? Kids, maybe you're teaching adults as well. Because it's, it's even scarier when, you're, when you have to learn how to swim as an adult. How are you helping them to, you know, to get past that fear? You know, I think um, it's one of those things where you just, you lead by example. Um, 
you know, I, I remember what it was like having that fear. And I express that to anybody that I coach. Um, working with the YMCA. So I learned how to swim at the Mission Valley YMCA in San Diego. And, you know, at the time they only had one pool, they built an outdoor pool and I started swimming with the master's teams there uh, later on in life. But um, I started working at the Copley Price YMCA, which was a newly built YMCA in San Diego. And it's in an area where it's very diverse. Um, you have people from multiple cultures living in this area. And it's primarily, you know, African-American, Black children, um, very much Hispanic. And I, I just saw myself as somebody that can show them that, you know, it doesn't matter where you come from. Like, this is going to be great for you, regardless of where, you, where you've been, where, who you are. Um, I started working with, you know, younger kids, coach, coaching just one-on-one -on -one lessons. And then what I would do is I would take my legs off and get in the water with them. You know, and once that happens, any excuse is kind of out the water. Once they see that, it's like, uh, okay, if this guy can do it, <laughs> you know, so it kind of shuts everything down. Um, but same with adults, you know, I'm like, okay, I'll get in and show you, I'll, I'll demonstrate. And then I, I want you to try, try repetition, keep doing it and, and, and really get that feel. And sometimes that's all it takes. And then there's like a click in their mind. They're like, oh my God, like, this feels amazing. Um, so I really worked with adults. I worked with um, kids, I, I loved working with kids with disabilities because that's what, that was my focus. You know, that's where I was like, this is my, this is my purpose. This is where I need to be. Um, so it, it was just a, a prime example of, of giving back. What, what does swimming mean to you? It's, um, you know, <laughs> it's one of those things where, yes, I'm training for the Paralympics, but if I wasn't, I would still be swimming. It's one of those. It's one of those places where I can just zen out. Um, I feel very much just in a free state. Um, I'm very. I don't have my prosthetics on. I'm only relying on my body, my skill, my, my, you know, whatever I have, whatever I'm, I'm given to to move. And, um, you know, it, it's just the perfect exercise. It's the perfect like meditative exercise where you know my mind can stay focused on what I'm doing at the time. We all know it's so easy to get distracted with everything that we have either going in our lives or going on in the world. Um, but that hour or those two hours of swimming where I'm just like, I don't have to be anywhere else but here, you know? And, and that's, that's a feeling that I, I love that I can take wherever I go. Do you feel recharged after a swim workout? Because obviously a swim workout is hard too. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, so how did, what's that feeling when you come out of the pool? Are you good? Are you, are you like, I need to take a nap? What, what's the feeling? <laughs> I definitely feel, you know, depending on the workout, <laughs> you know, if, it, if it's too hard, then I'm like, I'm going to, I need something. I need coffee or I need a nap, one or the other. Um, but uh, I, I always feel better. You know, especially if it's early in the morning. If it's early in the morning and I do a swim, it might suck getting up and getting there. But once you're there, once you're in it, and once you're done, you just feel so accomplished. You just feel like, you know, I've I've gotten this four thousand set out the way, and you know, people are just waking up, <laughs> you know. And I just personally, I'm just like, um, I always feel kind of energized, you know, and, and feeling like, yeah, just just in a good good mindset. You know, I feel like I've, I've cleared everything through my head and I can start the day fresh. Right. And probably accomplished as well, I would imagine. For sure. Yeah. You've already, you've already done something. You've done something more than most people will do all day before they even wake up. 
<laughs> I think there was some ad but like that at one point. How did the uh, how did you get affiliated with Challenge Athletes Foundation, and what is Challenge Athletes Foundation? For sure. So, um, you know, just to give you a a quick background of my mom and I, um, we got started with CAF when I was uh, seven, eight years old. And my mom and I were living out of shelters at the time. You know, we were struggling financially, um, jumping from shelter to shelter. And I remember we were living downtown at the time. And uh, there was a woman named Marla Knox who worked for Disabled Sports. And she, I'll never forget, she ran across these trolley tracks where two trolleys were coming from both directions. And she's like dipping and dodging. And <laughs> she's coming in and she runs in front of my mom and I. And she's like, have y'all heard of CAF? And we kind of look at each other like, lady, you almost got hit. Like, what are you talking about? We don't know what you're talking about. We almost saw you get hit. Like, that would have been traumatizing. <laughs> but she she thought it was important that she come and tell us about CAF, Challenge Athletes Foundation. And, you know, CAF is a foundation that's um, focused on getting individuals with a disability the tools they need to live a healthy and active lifestyle. And at the time, you know, living in San Diego, I knew nothing about CAF. Um, we heard about them and, and I was told about Rudy and, and what they were doing and, and the fact that I had a community. Um, so I went, you know, went out to a, I think it was a skiing event and I was just hooked. You know, I immediately was like, this is my community. I met Rudy, you know, being the first other double above the amputee I see like myself, you know, I, at the time as a kid, I had these colorful legs, you know, and I see Rudy and I'm like, oh my God, he has the same legs. Like, this is, this is mind blowing. I never see that. The only time I see that is in a mirror. Um, and so to see that and to go to a, a CAF event, you know, our biggest fundraiser of the year is the San Diego Triathlon Challenge. And uh, at the time, you know, it was slowly growing, but now it's, it's formed into this huge event where people worldwide are coming to race during this triathlon. We have our million dollar challenge where you cycle from San Francisco to San Diego. And we have just a weekend full of events and people disabled or not are coming to volunteer and help out and be there for CAF. And um, it's really turned into a reunion, a huge family reunion where we just all come together and we are looking to bring in people that don't know about CAF, who don't know what can be capable or what they're capable of, you know? And it's tough because there's so many people out there with disabilities that still think like, oh, like I, I, I can't really do anything, you know? And it's, it's, that's our goal is to bring them into our family and show them like, it's not that you can't do anything. You don't know, you don't know what's available to you. And once you have those resources, you're gonna, your life's gonna change. And they helped you get your first set of running legs. Is that what you said? They did, yeah. I how, was, are running uh, legs, how are running legs different from your regular legs? So my walking legs are, you know, now they're computer computerized um, and they have a knee. So I'm, I'm bending, I'm walking at, with the normal stride. Uh, my running legs, there is the, the foot, which is kind of like a, a J shape. And, um, and then there is the pylon, which is like a long pole that, that changes your height. And then my socket, which my, my limb sits inside. Um, so there's no knee, you know, not for, not for me. There, there are a few double above the amputees who like to run with the knee. Um, but I grew up running without, so that's kind of just the way I like to do it. Um, so there's, because there's no knee, we have to circumduct and swing our legs around. And that motion is just like, I, the way I see it is like a, a running penguin. Like if ever you saw a penguin run, that's what it would look like. 
What's that feeling like when you run? It's, you know, I think like anybody else who's running, it's, it's just very free, you know, and um, I don't know if it's because I'm on my, my running blades, uh, my running legs, but um, once you get a certain rhythm, it, it kind of feels like you're, you're almost on a ride. Like, and uh, the, the best way I can describe it when I competed in the Ironman, you know, once I found my, my set rhythm, I felt like I was in a car because I, I was just, there was nothing, my upper body was doing, staying one way, my arms are moving but my, my lower body's doing all the work. So I'm like, I'm drinking, I'm eating, I'm doing everything and my legs are just going the entire time, you know? And um, it's just one of those, like, again, it, just like swimming, it's one of those, those meditative kind of zen out states where I'm just like, let me, let me focus on my, my pace. Let me focus on my, my stride, my, my length. How, how fast am I going? You know, how much, uh, power am I putting into my my stride, my steps, and it's uh, it's hard to describe because, like I said, I got my first pair of prosthetics, my running blades, when I was uh, ten. So you know, from from birth to ten years old, I never run, I had never ran, um, and to to get the, those legs and be able to move as fast as I want, you know, I never took my running legs off, and uh, it's it's that feeling especially for other amputees, is something that I want them to experience. The same way Rudy wanted me to experience what it's like to be in the water. You know, I want them to see what that free motion feels like and, and watch their life change as they, as they continue on. I watched a video of you running through Central Park. And, and it kind of looked like, I mean, not that Central Park would be the moon, but it kind of looked like you were, you were running on the moon kind of thing. Because there were, most of the time, it looked like both feet were effectively off the ground, you yeah. know? So it was like, bounce, go, bounce, go. And, and so I, I see the freedom that you're mm -hmm. talking about. How did, how did the Kona idea come about? Cause this is, cause I mean, you're talking about, you're a breaststroker <laughs> you're doing a hundred meters. And, and then you're talking about a 2.4 mile swim followed by a 112 mile bike ride and you'd never ridden a bike prior to the idea of doing Kona. So you had no idea. And then, and then 26.2 mile run. Mm -hmm. How did this happen? Um, that's a good question. And why <laughs> did you say yes? <laughs> you know, being involved with CAF, I, um, that was the first time I really learned about triathlon. And, you know, I've been friends with Rudy for a long time. And I remember in 2009, he attempted the Ironman World Championships in Kona. And he missed the bike cutoff by 15 minutes. And, you know, by this time, Rudy's already been to two Paralympic games. And I thought for sure, like, this guy's going to finish. Like, if anybody of us, if any one of us is going to do it, it's going to be him. Um, and when, when he didn't finish, I realized how hard that race would be. Um, you know, fast forward to 2019, uh, I had been swimming for 12 years by then. And, you know, I was living at the training center. We were doing 5,000 meter sets, you know, every practice. Um, so 10,000 meters a day if we're doing doubles. And so I really built up my endurance through swimming. Um, so for me, 2.4 mile swim was a warm up. It was an, a good day, you know. <laughs> well, it is open, open ocean though, swim. It is open water, which is a big difference. Um, but, you know, I, I again, like living in San Diego and being near the water, like I knew how to, how to adjust. 
Um, as for the bike, you know, I, I remember talking to Rudy about the, the standard, you know, cycling bike. And he was just like, oh, it sucks. Like, you don't want to ride that, you know, because for us, for double above the amputees, we have no support. We have nothing really helping us on the, the standard bike. You know, Rudy's riding it using his glutes and that's it. You know, there's no, there's no power from the legs. There's no support. So regular two-wheeled bicycle. So yes, I saw some video of Rudy riding. So he had his prosthetic, but he had his regular prosthetic uh, legs just clipped into regular bike pedals. Yeah. And, and so you're talking about very few muscle. So like a smaller muscle group to be yeah. able to power that. So that's, yeah. you've anticipated my question. That's what pushed you toward the hand cycle versus, yeah. The, would Rudy do that differently if he did it again? Would he do it in a hand cycle? I, I think because he's done it before with a standard bike, he would normally do it with the standard bike. Um, even though he does love the hand bike. I've, I've heard him say it a couple of times. Um, but for me, it was just like, I've, I've relied on my arms all my life. And I, I knew that if I had a hand bike, I could make the bike cut off without a doubt. Um, it would be tough. It would be, you know, there's a possibility of me not making it, but I knew I could, I had a better shot on a hand bike. Um, so, you know, we had a race in Oceanside um, and this was April of 2019. And I didn't do the bike course. Uh, I just did the swim and the run. I had a teammate do the bike. And the swim, of course, 1.2 miles. Rudy does 31 minutes. I do like 33, 34. And for the run, I, I hadn't ran more than six miles. You know, Central Park was my Everest at one point. Like, I was just like, I got to get around this thing. Like, this is so tough. A big tough. hill at the end, yeah. At the north part of the park, that's a big hill. It's tough. It's, it's, it's crazy. But um, six miles to me was, was huge. And so at this Oceanside race, I'm just like, after the six mile mark, I'm like, okay, this is the longest I've gone each mile. I'm like, okay, just keep going. And, you know, I do 13.1 miles and an hour and 39. And, um, you know, Rudy was there, Bob Babbitt, who's co-founder of CAF was there. And they're both looking at me like, what the heck? Where, that, where has that been this whole time? <laughs> and that really sparked it. Like, okay, if I, if I had a shot, I could definitely see myself doing an Ironman. Um, sure enough, uh, July comes around. And I get the Ironman slot to compete in Kona. And the first thing I think is I don't have a bike. I don't even have a hand bike yet. Um, How many so months is this until the race? Uh, three months. Three yeah, months. Three, months, <laughs> three months before the race. I don't have a bike. I, I've only been swimming and running. Um, yeah, so I was kind of uh, in, a, in a situation there. Thankfully, CAF uh, got me my, my hand cycle. And I just threw down hours, hours on the hand cycle, because like most triathletes know, you have to work on your weakest and, and triathlon, your weakest discipline. And um, I, I'm doing an hour a day, hour every other day on the bike for a month. And then um, the next month, I'm doing three hour rides every other day and getting kind of used to that. And then I got to the point where I can do a workout after. Um, and like I told you earlier, I if there wasn't I don't know if it's because I did so much, so much time or gave so much time on the bike that I'm just like, if it was anything under three hours, I didn't want to ride. Like, I felt like it was a waste of time. Like, give me a long ride or don't, don't bother, you know? Um, so I just, I just really put in those hours on the bike and, you know, Kona comes around. Actually, this is the funny thing. I did my first full half Ironman two weeks before Kona. 
um, just to kind of get it, the race jitters out the way. It was in Montauk. And, uh, <laughs> it, you know, it might not have been the best idea, but I thought it was at the time. <laughs> but, you know, Kona comes around and I'm just like, okay, the swim I know I have. The, the bike is going to be the hard part because, you know, we have this, this thing hanging over our heads from 2009 when Rudy attempted it. And, you know, me, Bob, and Rudy are just like, focus on finishing the bike. That's going to be the hardest part. The run endurance is already built. The swim endurance is already built. It's the bike. That's going to be the toughest. Um, and thankfully, putting in those hours helped. Uh, I make the bike cut off. I have 30 minutes to spare. And then I'm off on the run, um, which uh, I feel like the run wouldn't have been as hard if I didn't do all that before. <laughs> but but you know it's it's a day full of first so I'm just like let's just go with it you know I never rode more than 112 miles or sorry never rode more than 90 112 was my max um I had never run more than a half marathon and so I'm doing my full marathon during an Ironman <laughs> and um you know it was uh it was definitely rewarding it was one of those accomplished moments of you know coming into the finish line and family and friends are there and it's uh it's hard to describe but it was it was remarkable what was your time for 2.4 mile swim 112 mile bike ride and 26.2 miles on the run my time total was 16 hours and 26 minutes exactly yeah. wow so 16 hours 26 minutes which is over two thirds of the day. Yep. <laughs> You're moving. You're working hard. Wow. What did that, what did it feel like? You said there were family, there were friends all at the finish line. Is it, it's dark mm -hmm. when you finish? Start in the yeah. dark, finish in the dark. Is that how it was? I started about six, I think 6.40 AM. And then I, I remember on the run course, I was, I just started the run course. I think I was on like mile six or seven and yeah, we got a couple of pictures of it too. I'm just watching the sun go down. Cause in my mind, I'm like, wait a minute, <laughs> I'm still going and the sun is going down. Um, and I think that's where the race really started is when the sun went down. You know, I, I, I uh, get out to the Queen K highway and um, it's just quiet. Everybody's been racing all day. Nobody is in a good mood. And um you know, I think the run was really a struggle. You know, I found moments where I would walk because I couldn't run anymore. Um, and a couple moments when I would walk just to kind of take it all in. Just being on that island is is literally magic. It's, it's beautiful, you know, and there's the people are so welcoming when the, when the Ironman is there. They're just like, it's like Ironman Island at the time. Um, and uh, I remember struggling on the last six miles um, I'm just thinking I have nothing left. And, you know, at one time, the more I think about it, the more I'm like, I don't know which it was, you know, there was, there was a point where my head dropped. Cause I'm just like, oh, this is it. I don't have anything. Um, and I felt like I could hear everybody cheering me on. Cause it's just so dead quiet out there. Um, and I was just like in a certain state where I'm, I'm just, <laughs> If you look at the pictures, my friends and family say I look dead. <laughs> I look like I was gone. <laughs> With good reason. With good reason, for sure. I was gassed, for sure. And um, I don't know if it, 
you know, I definitely did a lot of digging into, into why I could do something like this. And uh, I thought it was the prayers of, of my, my family and friends, but the more I think about it, the more I'm like, I, I think this is more of an ancestral thing. Um, you know, I think about what my, what I've been through in my life. I think about what my immediate family has been through in their lives. And, and then I think about just the history of what we've been through in this country and, and, and before that, you know, and I just knew like, I can do this. Like, this is, this is a hard day, but it has nothing on top of the life I've had to live just to get to this point, you know? And so what do you mean Sorry. specifically? Like, is, is this like for you talking about you and your mother being homeless? Uh, is, is that is that the kind of is that the most profound struggle that you that you've had in your life? And I feel like one of the many, you know, between I feel like my family, we've had struggles on struggles when it comes to just financially, when it comes to um, support, when it comes to just the history of of black or african-american people in this country and and the systemic racism that's really kind of put a a, a foot on our backs and, and on our heads and, and and really just holding us down um i i knew that this statement finishing this race was going to say more it was it was going to do more um not just for people who are black african-american but anybody you know because of my disability is really opening to anybody because it doesn't matter who you are the iron man's going to be hard <laughs> it doesn't matter how you're doing it it's going to be a hard day and I think coming across that finish line knowing that there there are children that are watching me knowing that my family and friends are watching and CAF and we have this huge CAF family now that are watching um, I knew that this is bigger than me this is much much bigger than me it had, if it was just me I would have failed you know if it was if it was me alone I wouldn't have done it but the fact that I I knew that this was going to say something to everybody that anything is truly possible. You know, there was a time where people, like I told you, people were worried. Like they were like, what is going to become of Roderick? You know, is he going to be some, somebody begging on the side of the street because he doesn't have anything or, or is he going to be somebody who's struggling or always needs help? And that's why coming into the finish line and, and seeing, you know, Rudy there, Bob there, and I made sure to have my mom there. Um, you know, she's seen me at my worst. So I definitely wanted her to see me at my best. Maybe not my best looking because I was definitely sweaty and nasty. But, <laughs> um, but I wanted her to see me uh, or see her what she implanted in me, you know, that that resilient, that that strength of just keep going, you know, it's going to be better in the end. Um, yeah, just having them there to see that and, and that spark that is caused through family and friends and, and how they push themselves through their own trials and tribulations is that's the that's the medal that's the that's the win for me what did your mother say to you when you cried do you remember can you remember <laughs> she, <laughs> do you have any memory of this <laughs> she lost it she was, well let me let me say first um i i had her come out to the to the iron man and kona and she thought she was getting a vacation and i was like yeah you are you know have a good time but um, she got a massage, had drinks, you know, had some good food, had a nice room. And um, <laughs> she didn't know what we were there for. She thought that the race was just like a small, like fun, like, oh, it's going to be like a short little fundraiser. And then the, the day before she saw the conditions of the race. And I remember she did like this slow turn and looked at me like, you're doing that tomorrow? Like, why did you tell me this is what we were here for? 
Um, <laughs> Why didn't you tell her? Because I wanted I I wanted the full surprise. I wanted her to to see. Oh, he has to swim 2.4 miles. He has to bike 112 miles. He has to do with a marathon and heat and wind and all this crap. <laughs> and I wanted her to hear that and then look at me and 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 really be worried. You know, I wanted her to like, this is tough. Like, can you do this? And I in my mind I knew I could, but in my mind I wanted her to see that I could so that once I did, she knew what she had done you know when once i crossed the finish line i wanted her to realize wow i really installed something in him to make him want to keep going to always fight on and fight for himself and others you know and so when i came across the finish line she's just crying she's trying to give me a towel <laughs> she, she's just really just in a in a state you know and i remember i was smiling at the time and i i waited till i kind of fell into her and hugged her and I remember I cried, I lost one tear. And at the time she had these really long braids. So I'm just like, all right, nobody's gonna see for sure. <laughs> and um, she just, you know, she was like, are you okay? I can't believe you did this. And I'm like, yeah, I'm fine, like, you know? And it was, it was one of those things where I didn't have to say much. Like it, the, just finishing made the statement, you know? And um, yeah, it was just- say, What did she say besides? Besides, you know, just being excited for me, she was, she was, she was amazed. She was amazed. She was very much, um, <laughs> she was a little upset with me for not telling her about the race, <laughs> but uh, she was happy because it, it all ended well. You know, everything, everything we came there for, it was a success, you know, a green check. And yeah, it, it what it did for her and for me and, and everybody in my family, you know, I have a, my mom went back to school. Um, I have little cousins who I had never met really. And um, because I had more free time this last summer with the Paralympics being pushed back, I was able to meet them and show them the NBC special about the Ironman and explain to them what it entails. And, and you know, I have this little cousin who just had heart surgery a few years ago. And so he has this huge scar down his chest and um, he, he wears it proudly. You know, he does the little Superman thing and then really shows it off. And he saw me do it and he's like, I want to do an Ironman. And that's what I love is that I can inspire somebody to, to see something that's hard, see something that's a struggle and still want to do it, still want to push on. And I'm not going to tell him like, oh, no, you shouldn't do it because, you know, you have a heart condition. I'm going to give him the tools he needs. I'm going to express to him like really sit him down this is hard <laughs> really think about what you're doing here this would be tough work and um just just seeing the inspiration in all their eyes you know and and coming from the guy who the kid who everybody worried about to now being this this um kind of like a, a motivator in the family to do more to be greater um that's i can't ask for more that's that's amazing to me did your mother know how much she motivated you that those last six miles that you were thinking about her and her struggles and the family struggles and all of that? Did she understand that? I don't think she did until I crossed the finish line, you know, I, and I told her like, this was your doing, you know, this was the only reason why I can see myself doing anything like this is because you, you made me this way and you did it on your own through, through, trials and tribulations, you know, and I, I look back and I'm like, yeah, I was, I was this kid with a disability who 
um, you know, was living out of shelters and, and struggling to find friends and, and really wondering like, what would I, what would become of me? But when I think about it, I'm like, I can't imagine being a parent who has a kid who has special needs, who needs special care. And, you know, you're now living out of shelters with them. You're having people threaten to call child services and to take away your child because they're saying that you're not fit to care for them. And knowing my mom, I'm like, you guys wouldn't find a better, <laughs> there's nobody else I can live with that would love me this way. And she really fought. She fought for years, you know, with between family members against her uh, getting my legs amputated. Um, her being afraid that I would come back years later saying, why did you amputate my legs? And going through all this by herself, you know, she had already divorced from my dad and um, to, to be in a state where all she had was faith, all she had was hope. And it, it, it was the best thing she could have had for me. But how did, how did the swimming part come into that? Because I read somewhere that you were going from the shelter to school to training. Mm -hmm. And then back to the shelter, you know, because I think it's easy for people to assume that when you're homeless, you're just, you're not doing anything else, but you were investing in your life, right? Mm -hmm. You were going to school, you were going to train. How did that all, how did that all work? Was that your decision? Was that your mother's decision? Was it collective? I think it was more so collective. You know, when things got really hard, she sat me down and, and, um, yes, I was her son. I had to listen to whatever she, whatever she said, but um, she made it clear that I was her partner and I was going to have to be because she was going to need help. You know, she couldn't do it all on her own. Um, and she gave me my little responsibilities, go to school, get good grades. And like I said, you know, when we were in the heat of our, our worst, when living from shelter to shelter, um, that's when we met CAF. So that was the best thing that we could have experienced because now her son, who wasn't in sports, who didn't do anything, he now has this community where he feels welcomed, where he doesn't feel like the outsider. And, you know, we were, we were smiling going back to our shelter, going back to our, our cot with, you know, curtains, and we're thinking we're living in the Hilton, you know, compared to the shelters we lived in. Um, it, was, uh, it, was, it was a good getaway, you know, to, to just be normal. You know, go to school, have those activities. And a lot of our family and friends had no idea what we were going through. But that was that was part of our partnership. Is we're just going to focus on ourselves. We'll get ourselves up. And that's what we did. What's the message? You said that there was a message in doing Kona, right? Mm -hmm. That you were, it wasn't just for, it wasn't just for disabled kids. It wasn't just for, for African-American people. It was mm -hmm. for people in general. What, what's that, what's the message? What's the thing that you think of? I think the one thing we forget is that everybody has something that they're struggling or going through. You know, everybody has a daily struggle or daily, you know, trial or tribulation that's on their, on their heart, on their mind. And um, for me, I, I feel like because I have a disability, um, obviously being an amputee, people think they know my struggle. Um, but I've been amputee all my life. You know, I had my legs amputated at a year and a half. I had my first pair of prosthetics when I was three. So my first steps were on prosthetics. So this is nothing to me. The, so when people say that they understand or they can see, they don't really see, you know? And that's, that's really what it is for everybody. Is you, you have no idea what it, the next individual is going through. You have no idea what's on their heart. But finishing that race is saying that 
there there is light at the end of, end of the tunnel. You know, there is a finish line. You know, it, it's just really sticking with it and, and getting through the worst and the best is, best is yet to come. Does that help with, with tolerance as well? You said that you don't know what other people's struggles are. Does that help you be more tolerant with other people? Or I mean, saying you, but like in a general sense. I, I try to be open-minded. Um, I don't, I don't want to look at someone and think I, I know what they're going through, um, whether it's disabled or not, because you never know. You know, there's always more, there's always an underlining issue that um, maybe that only that person's dealt with and nobody else really knows. And um, I think for somebody with a physical disability, that's just obvious. It's, it's easy to say that, oh, that's, that's his biggest issue is his legs. No, <laughs> no, not at all. This is the day to day. This is normal to me. It's just it's something that people see and they're like, hmm, I've, I've never seen that before. But for me is I see it on the regular, you know? So that's the least of my issues, you know? And I keep that in mind when I'm talking to people and, and realizing that they might be going through hard times, you know, as we all are, or we all have been. And if we haven't been, we will, you know, it's hard times are yet to come. Um, but, <laughs> It's to, to say that, you know, it's not possible for a, a good ending to say that, um, you know, to think that it's, nothing is truly possible. Like, I, I, I believe that anything is possible. I think that I, I had to believe that if I wanted to finish that race. And now I try to implant that into people I speak with because they might think that there's something impossible that is set in their lives. And it really takes that changing of a mindset to realize that oh, it's, it's going to take me to do it. You know, I used to think that, oh man, I have this disability. Like, well, why, why me? And then it slowly turned into, you know, maybe you're here for a reason. Maybe you're, you're in this position for a reason, you know, and it's to show yourself and others that it doesn't matter. You know, we're all going through something and it's, it's about pushing through to the end to see that, that better result. How did that mindset change come about for you? I think it, it really started with me, um, different athletes do CAF. You know, it started with me and Rudy. Um, you had Willie on here, Scout Bassett. Um, though these are people I've grown up being around, you know, and um, <laughs> Willie definitely used to give me a hard time when I was a kid. <laughs> I can't imagine that. <laughs> <laughs> but you know and even even him you know he's like he came up to me he's like I'm so proud of you like you really changed your ways you changed your mindset and you you have sparked something for the next generation to to look towards and that's that's all I can ask for you know that's that's um that's kind of our goal you know the Paralympics gold medals all that is great but changing people's lives that's the medal how important is that right now I mean this has been difficult with COVID, but then, but then with George Floyd, with Breonna Taylor, with, with all of that, as, as an athlete, we're seeing, you know, you see like a, you see like a LeBron James who's willing to step into the limelight and, 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 and take, and take a fair amount of, of hatred as well. I mean, there are a lot of people who are looking, looking to knock him down, but, but he's willing to affect that change. Right. It sounds like that's a responsibility that you want to assume as well. What does that responsibility mean to you and how, 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 do, you, how do you feel like you can create that change? I feel like um, 
you know, it's, it's, it's on us. It's on every individual to really make that change for a better world for every individual, you know, regardless of if you have a disability or not. Um, we're all, like I said, we're all going through something. We all have to play a part in, in making this world accessible for everyone, um, you know, and, and that starts with just the basic rights, the basic rights that are, are deserved of everyone. Um, and, you know, like, like you said, like with LeBron and, and different athletes that are standing up and saying like, no, there's, there's, I'm, I'm going to speak up about this. This needs to change. Um, I think it's important. And I, I think for me, um, it's, it's been something that we've, we've always fought for. You know, we've always, especially working with CAF, it's, we always fought for the equality. We've always fought, we always have fought for just the, the true treatment of, of being human, you know, not looking at a person for their, their disability and looking at the individual, you know, and focusing on that and realizing that people are people and, and really taking that and, and, and spreading that through the world. Um, so it, it's, it's going to be a, a lot of work, but <laughs> it needs to be done. How do you balance that with your training and your competition? Does it make it more difficult? Does it complement it? I think it goes hand in hand. You know, I, you know, I keep in mind that, yes, this is my goal, but there's more of a goal here than just the Paralympics. You know, um, we, I def, like I said, when, with finishing Kona, there's a statement that needs to be made um, as well as inspiring the next generation, that same goes with the Paralympics, you know, and I'm, I'm blessed that I've been given a platform to speak up and say more about, um, what needs to be changed or what I think needs to be changed and working with individuals that feel the same way and realizing that, you know, it's, it's, it's a collective effort, you know, and that's the part that I think a lot of people miss because like myself, I, I've had moments where I think I could do it all on my own. And uh, that's not the case. You know, it's going to take all of us. It is. And but I think that and for me, I've often thought that with the Paralympics and with a peripheral type of sport in some ways, right, it's not it's not the kind of funding. It's not the kind of salaries that you see in some professional sport that that there's an ownership. And and there's also a perspective that comes from being from being on the outside to a certain extent, from not looking like everyone else, that that brings that brings some of this responsibility. How is how do you look at your personal journey? I mean, you've you've been on a tremendous personal journey arc. Uh, you don't want it to end, I would assume, with Kona, with the Paralympics. What? How do, do, do you look at that on a daily basis? Do you look at it on a weekly basis in terms of where you're going, what you're trying to do, how you're challenging yourself? For sure. You know, I um, obviously I, I definitely look to work more with the Challenge Athletes Foundation. I definitely feel like I have a purpose there when it comes to, to um, really working with individuals with disabilities, regardless of the disability, regardless of the age. Um, and yeah, like you said, like, obviously the Paralympics, Ironman, that's not the end goal. Um, it's just a, a goal that I've set for myself. Um, I think, uh, you know, it's still be, it's still to be determined, like what the, what the end purpose is. Um, but I feel like for my life is I, I take pride in the journey, 
Like I, I like finding the next thing. I like finding what's next for me and, and what I could do that's that's challenging. And um, I guess who whose life you can affect along the way. You know, whose life can you can you change? Who you never know. You, you never really know. I've had people walk up to me random times telling me like just seeing you has inspired me to want to do this or that. And that's amazing. They, they wouldn't even know me, you know? And so to to now make a stand and do these things that are like phenomenal to individuals, you know, that are are, are seem impossible, you know, people can't even fathom living without their limbs. And and this guy's out here swimming and doing all this crazy stuff. Um, uh, that's just a that's just another statement of you know it's all in the mind, you know it's all in, in how you treat yourself, how you how you talk to yourself, how you're what you're doing to to propel yourself forward. Do you get that though too? I mean, people come up to you and say, you know, just seeing you inspires me to go do this or that. Do you get that as well? Where you see somebody else and go, you inspired me to go do this or that. It happens both ways, right? It does for sure. And I, I love when it happens to me because I'm like, oh, this must be how, <laughs> you know, this is how people feel when they walk up to me. I, I, uh, I, I don't necessarily go out there and want that to happen to me. But for myself, I definitely go looking for it. You know, I'm definitely looking for that next level of inspiration and, and something just to strive for. Um, how do you look for it? What does that mean? Um, you know, I, I don't really like go like deep diving, but <laughs> I, I look for certain activities. I just look for certain, certain, um, certain, just different goals, just different inspirations that, you know, it, it kind of comes naturally is the best way I can say it. You know, it, it kind of like falls in your lap. Um, and then when it does, I'm like, oh my God, thank you so much. Like, you don't, you don't realize how much seeing this or doing this has, has pushed me to do my own um, because it can get tough. Like training for the Paralympics, especially takes a lot of time. Um, so to have those little bit of, oh, wow, like, thank you so much. You inspired me to, to take this day on a, in a different way. Um, yeah, it's, a, <laughs> it's an amazing feeling. Is it, is it always something big that inspires you? Not at all. It's usually the little things. <laughs> you know, like I, um, I have, so I have six sisters. And um, one, one of my younger sisters, she just recently went on a, uh, uh, like a workout, just fitness um, binge, you know, and, and she lost, uh, I think, close to 100 pounds. Yeah, and I was just like, you <laughs> amaze me. Like, that is mind-blowing because that just takes so much discipline. That just takes so much, like, so much time and effort that she wasn't necessarily giving at first, but now she's doing on the regular, you know, and, and, and I should retract a little bit. That's not a little thing. That's a big thing as well. Mm -hmm. um, but just the daily, like, just seeing her commitment, that's like, okay, I, I, I see what you're doing. You're making me want to do the same, if not more. Well, I mean, yeah, and profound, right? I mean, just the idea of her taking her whole, her life, her culture, you know, what she's, what she's known and mm -hmm. changing and changing it to, you know, from one way to another way. And that is that creating, creating that kind of structural change within our lives is, is such a challenge and to commit to it each day and not to succumb to succumb to the failures right. along the way and all of this that is that is really impressive so 
so first race you said is first hand cycle or swim race is mm -hmm. in Texas, right? And when is that? It is April 15th. April 15th. Okay, mm -hmm. so that is coming up really soon. Mm -hmm. And just weird, right? Just since we've been on hiatus, you know, just for, for a year or so with COVID that nobody's, it, it's probably going to be great just to be in public and, and sort of be, be in a normal setting. And then you fly from there and how much later is is the race in Alabama, the cycling so race? For, for me, I'm only racing 100 meter breaststroke, um, but the race is from the 15th through the 17th. And uh, for cycling, it's the 17th through the 18th. Um, so I'm literally racing the 100 meter breaststroke, prelims, finals, catch a flight that night with my bike and my bag. And uh, I'm out to Alabama. I have a day to get there and get settled. And then I race the next day. What do you do? We'll get you out on this one. You've got a, it sounds like you've got a pretty busy schedule. What do you do to relax? That's a good question. <laughs> um, I am, I'm very big on recovery. I'm very big on, uh, I've gotten better with stretching. Um, I'm, I'm trying to be better with my yoga. Um, I, you know, I, I, I listen to a lot of podcasts. I listen to a lot of audible books. Um, I have my moments where I'm just like binging on TV or <laughs> just, I put my body through so much that I, when I can find times to just kind of sit back and relax and just enjoy the moment, then I, I'll do so. Um, but yeah, just, I, I think one thing that's really helped me is, is meditating. Um, I try to do something in the morning and in the evenings, right before bed and, and, and right when I wake up in the morning. Um, and I think that's played a huge role in kind of getting me in the right headspace before I do anything. Perfect. Well, that sounds absolutely awesome. Well, Roderick, thank you for, for joining us. Thank you for working so hard and, and for, for being willing to put yourself out there. I, I think about your Kona experience and I think that was crazy, man. That was, that was <laughs> absolutely crazy, but, but it worked and that's even crazier. Yes, it is. <laughs> I, I have my moments, but uh, it definitely worked out. Yeah. Well, thank you for joining us and thank you for sharing your story with all of us. We really appreciate it. Thank you again, Chris. Yep. Look forward to seeing you soon and good luck on the road to Tokyo for two events, potentially. Thank you all for joining us. It's been wonderful to be able to share this hour with you. You can watch the podcast on the One Revolution channel. It will be housed on the One Revolution channel. We also will do an edited version of this. We'll trim it down a little bit and that will be uh, distributed later on. So when you get a chance, keep your eyes open for it. Please, if you enjoyed what you heard, please tell your friends, tell them to check in on Wednesday nights or go to the podcast, the Name Tags Chat Podcast, Apple, Spotify, like us, subscribe. Thank you very much. And we will look forward to seeing you next week. Good luck, Roderick. Take care. Thank you.